Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Hi, I'm Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining us. I don't care what type of business you are or at what stage your business is in its life cycle. You have had your ups and downs with a variety of issues when you're trying to grow your business. As a consultant, a CMO, a business owner, and a corporate executive, the one thing that has always amazed me is how unprepared businesses are for a crisis. I think that because when people hear the word crisis, they think catastrophe, they think earthquake, hurricanes, but that's not necessarily the case. So today I've invited David Oates, crisis PR expert and founder of Public Relations Security Services to discuss why every company needs to have a crisis plan, not only to protect your reputation, but protect your company as well. But before we begin, let me take a quick break. A chief marketing officer has both the power and the responsibility to drive long-term strategic growth that can ultimately lead to organizational prosperity. And that growth starts with a vision. What is your firm's definition of success? Growth? How will you strategically work towards expansion, for example? Equally important, what is your customer's perception of your firm? And how well do you meet a need or deliver value? When you begin to align your vision with that of your customer, you build a stronger, lasting relationship with them. You see the whole picture, realizing the lifetime value of that customer, as well as the lifetime value you provide. A CMO must look at success with a strategic mindset, looking beyond the transactional. The CMO must understand the customer journey, utilizing the competitive intelligence, embracing and leveraging your unique market insights. If your business is ready for growth and you need a CMO, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, I'd welcome the opportunity to explore the benefits of using a fractional CMO. Visit theponzagroup.com to learn more. Joining me is David Oates, crisis PR expert and founder of Public Relations Security Services to discuss the importance of establishing a crisis plan. David, welcome. Hey, Angelo. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, this, is a, this is a great topic. And and, and one that, you know, I, I have found over the years only becomes important when something goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? I, usually get called, I usually get called in not to prepare for something, which is when I ideally like to be brought in and sort of in advance if something's bubbling or maybe just even in part of their disaster recovery risk management strategies. But what happens is, is I normally get the call as the building is on fire, as there is media interest, as there is something online, as there's an errant blog po- blog post or something like that one. Yeah, yeah, that's when I normally get the ring. Yeah, so we're going to talk about kind of a reactive, proactive strategy as we kind of get into this. But why don't you take a few minutes and, and kind of tell the audience about you and, and your business? Well, I've been in PR for about 25 years and started actually as a Navy public affairs officer. And the reason I bring that up is because at an early age, I was dealing with crises as a regular part of the business. I was deployed uh, to Haiti for about six months, most notably as the communications head of a joint military operation down there. Uh, And then I was on an aircraft carrier for a couple of years with a staff of seven in charge of the essentially corporate communications, not only for that ship, but the eight other ships that went with us 
on deployment. And so invariably, when you have that big of an operation that is out to sea for deployed, covering thousands and thousands of square miles, something's going to happen. And when you bring then sailors and Marines in the ports of call, other things happen, right? It's just, it's just the law of averages. And so I dealt with everything from suicides to aircraft crashes, accidents, uh, sailors and Marines behaving badly in ports of call. And there was always a backlash in the public and how you conveyed that messaging to a general audience as to these are the exceptions to the general conduct of sailors and Marines as a part of, uh, of stewards of taxpayer money, but also as good neighbors to our allies and friends when we were over in ports of call was vital to sustaining our mission. And so I was privileged to be in that role, went into the uh, corporate world about 20 years ago and launched my own consulting practice uh, just about 14 years ago now. I started and evolved over the time into purely a crisis PR services over the last few years. And this probably gets to the point where because of the way in which we communicate as a society nowadays, uh, we are afforded, every one of us, the opportunity to essentially be our own broadcaster. So as I tell companies of any size that you can go from hero to zero in an Instagram post, because all it takes is somebody who, for whatever reason, uh, feels disenfranchised, right? Maybe they had a bad day at your brick and mortar store or your online experience or something, something, some other engagement. And they are now going to take to social media to Yelp, to TripAdvisor, to other uh, uh, online entities and just berate you and generate an audience. And that's, I think, the part that we that I want to emphasize is I think when you brought it up in the beginning where crises now, it looks like there's major catastrophes where you've got these throngs of news cameras and reporters shouting questions at your doorstep. And that's what everybody thinks about. Well, the reality is, is that most crises occur almost silently. And the next thing you know, it's some negative post that appears prominently on the first page of Google when somebody searches for your organization name or your name personally, and now you're dealing with it. So as I say, crisis communications is now uh, a very much increase in demand because of just the ability for people just to take your brand and your reputation and trash it online to an audience that you know will inhibit your ability to generate revenues and, and stay profitable. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like what you said is kind of a description of everybody as a broadcaster. I mean, it, it doesn't take long. I mean, you and I literally could be doing this podcast, but in the meantime, we could be tweeting live or doing this live or whatever happens to happen. And, and so uh, I have one story I'll tell as we kind of get into this. Um, Cause I, I, again, there's, well, there's so many stories and so many things that can happen. So I'm excited right. about, about really kind of digging into this. But I do ask kind of some standard questions that I like of all my guests because I, I, I like the perspective and I like to hear, um, you know, all these different aspects. So now you you started your business, this particular business around 2018-ish. Yeah, so, that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. So in growing your business, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> well, the, the difference between a crisis PR specialist and let's say a promotional PR specialist is usually the promotional PR guys will work with an organization for a significantly long period of time, several months, if not a few years, because the ability to generate positive campaigns just takes longer. I get usually brought in as a fix-it guy. And so my engagements, with some exceptions, will typically last somewhere between four and eight weeks. Now, what I like to do after that is help that organization 
recognize some of the fundamental foundational communication breakdowns. And they can be with customer service, they could be in HR, they could be in operations, they could be in some other aspect from that and bring in other people that can help maybe update your employee manual to be uh, a little bit more uh, systematic and concrete so you avoid uh, the mishaps and communication that you have with employees. You want to do the same thing with your customer and sales operations or things like that. But but typically, I will engage between somewhere between four and eight weeks. So, so what keeps me up at night is casting my net farther and wider so people know me. I, I, I equate it somewhat, somewhat um, humorously to a bail bondsman, right? It's better to know me and not need me than to need me and not know me. Because the time in which you want to call me uh, is a time in which things are just going bad. And if you don't have a clue who I am, it just delays that 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 solution and increases your pain point significantly. So I, I spend a lot of my time on what keeps me up at night is who else do I need to talk to, either directly or through trusted partners, uh, so people know what I do. Because there's very few of us who focus exclusively on crisis PR. Yeah, usually it's just a, a function. And 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 when I had my uh, agency and and a couple agencies I worked for, we had that as part of our PR offering. Right, not something that's uh, sustainable. You, you know, um, in, in this kind of what keeps you up at night, certainly it's what keeps me up at night as a fractional CMO. I know ultimately my agreements typically end. And so there's always that, where's the next one coming from? And, and, and to your point, how do people get to know me with, uh, what's about? Cause I think there's probably a confusion when, as soon as that people hear PR and I've had other PR folks on and, you know, for me, the traditional PR route has changed drastically. There's traditional PR is broken. And, and so how do you educate and certainly uh, differentiate confusion? I mean, we belong to an organization and we've been in, in several meetings as provisors and I sit in some of these meetings and, you know, by the time it gets to me, I've already heard five or six people talk <laughs> about marketing. And, and so for me, it's like, all right, how do I differentiate from that marketer? And, uh, it, and it's been an interesting process as I've actually had a lot of one-on-ones with them to try to figure out what they do versus what I do. And, and, you know, can we work together? And some of them actually, we we actually are, are very synergistic, even though in the meetings that we say marketing, right? Yeah, well, you bring up a good point, right? So when I when I did both promotional and crisis PR, because I've always done crisis, even even in the early days of the corporate line. But but as you as you point out, you know, we predominantly generated uh, coverage of a of an organization through the traditional channels, right? Uh, television, newspapers, trade, industry, trade publications, those kind of things. Well, that's no more, uh, and. And a lot of PR opportunities, particularly for young practitioners that are either um, leaving with a degree from a university or maybe a couple of years in, is with a digital firm because they are uh, bringing in younger PR specialists to help them with their with their digital engine. And and we're seeing a lot of traditional PR firms uh, shrinking or, or, quite frankly, going away. As that was occurring, because of the way, and you know, sort of the flip side of that is because now everybody's a broadcaster through their social media channels and their and their iPhone 11. You know, the the need for crisis PR uh, increased, and so I can't say that I did it cleanly. I, w- I wish I had probably changed to being focused solely on crisis PR about three years before I did it. But having said all that, um, you follow where the market tends to go, and there's a greater need for crisis PR and. Mm-hmm. Traditional promotional PR is now being swallowed up by digital firms, social media firms, you know, yep. website development firms, SEO firms, those kind of people. And so you go where the money is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. One of my uh, close friends, and I've known her now probably 30 years, um, I've hired her firm on three different occasions. 
but as as traditional PR has changed, I noticed um, in the last year or so, all of a sudden she's PR, marketing and branding. It's like, well, well, where did that come from? Right. She goes, well, I have you. I said, yeah, but it's it doesn't matter. You're out promoting yourself as my competitor, even though I'm actually your person, <laughs> but I'm your competitor. I mean, it gets very confusing. It's it's it, we we were sort of cannibalizing each other in some cases, right? In the marketing, yeah, yeah. on the promotional side, because there's really no other choice. I tell you know I, I laugh when I tell people <clears throat> I'm worried about about NBC, you know, LA, and I'm like, yeah, great outlet to get your to get your story told on a positive side, but don't expect that that's that that story is going to generate any interest on your own. What you have to do is you got to basically get that story on air and then take that clip that you can procure either through a link on the station's website or ideally you, you buy the rights of the clip. And then you got to put it into your social media engine and your digital content engine and your email distribution engine and pay-per-click because there's great validation with that. But it no longer has the stature of being the tr- sole primary predominant trusted source for information that people are going to take and then go look for your product or service. It just doesn't happen that way, especially when you're looking at the younger demographics, right? Ask Mm -hmm. anybody in college or even now, anybody really under 40 and ask them, when was the last time they watched local television news? When was the last time they had a newspaper subscription? And for some of us with gray hair, it's really interesting to see how many of them don't and how many of them don't get their information from that? So it requires organization to be your own broadcaster. And it also requires that when things are stated by people without really any journalistic credentials, or uh, certainly not with a journalistic eye of verification of facts, they're spouting their opinion as facts and they're being accepted as stuff, well, then you got to have a crisis PR guy to be basically be able to very cleanly with empathy and action toward all Set, reset the narrative, get you back to normal operations as quickly as possible. Another question I like to ask is, what is the best business advice you've ever given and or received if it's different? Um, the, one, the one that I do um, follow that comes immediately to mind is when you are walking around with, uh, with a service in mind and a solution, the, the, I had somebody tell me, act like you've got a million dollars in your pocket. And the reason that is, I first when I first heard that, I thought, well, that's a little pretentious. And he goes, no, because what it what what you do is if you if you think in terms of abundance, and and organizations will ask you for your advice, your professional advice as to what to do. If you think that you have this million dollars in your pocket, then you're going to give the honest answer without necessarily thinking that that may be something that the client wants to hear. Because one of the things we are as as trusted advisors, I don't care if you're in marketing or you're in accounting or you're in law or you're in CEO coaching or whatever, is we have to, with very service-minded approach, give the best candid advice we can to businesses. Whether they take that advice is really up to them. But Mm -hmm. but we can't go about thinking, let's give the answer that they want to hear because we know that, that that means that they'll that they'll hire us. And so that sort of million dollars in your pocket mentality is something that I provide because I will tell them what to think. And in some cases, I get I get a matter where a company has got something really bad on Google that they've let fester. And so now it's a reputation management issue. And they're like, we want to make it go away. And I say, well, look, here is all the things you have to do. You can't make that go away. What you can do is you can put forth more relevant content that gets ranked by Google and pushes that to the second page. So people 
if they do find it, we'll put it in context with all this other great positive stuff. But that takes time. And that takes a lot of money. And, and oh, by the way, it's probably a six-figure budget with about 18 months of time in order to do that. Because you've let this thing fester online for two or three years. Mm-hmm. It's now cemented in the Google algorithms. Most businesses don't like that answer, right? They want they want to fix. They want to fix right now. It's got to be done. And I get that. But you know, you let something. You know, it's like a it's it's like a physical ailment that you have that you ignore for a couple of years. Guess what? It's going to take you a while to rehabilitate that. Like when somebody puts on a, a few more pounds, as we all may have had during COVID. Well, it's it's not something where you can you can shed those pounds in a week. You you got to sort of put together forth the process to do that. Then the same is true with online. But I think that's the biggest advice that I try to follow is is give the honest, most forthright advice that you can service with a service-minded approach. But if you act like a million dollars in your pocket, then you won't worry if they take it or not. That's really their call. And yeah. you know, if, you do, if you're good at what you do, you'll win more than you lose. Yeah. And I, and I think your comment about it, it takes time is important, right? We're so used to, because of technology, instantaneous, right? right. We, can, we can do something tomorrow. And, and I think people expect that I can change it just by a tweet or a post tomorrow. And it's that there's that old uh, and you, you, you I think you'll remember this. I think it was uh, Prell shampoos. Right. You tell you tell a friend and I'll tell two friends and you'll tell two friends. I mean, that's really what we've done. That thing just can can catch on fire. And a lot of times I think the negative stuff catches on fire a lot more than the positive stuff. And so it, it, it is different. It, I, I had a client one time and in. It was a she and she was really tough on her people. And so anytime anybody left, they just hammered her on glass door. Yeah. Just hammered her. Yeah. And and there was probably more negative than there was. And and so we had talked about starting a kind of quote unquote campaign to start doing positive things to try to drive those to the second and third pages, right? And I remember in this meeting, we had teed it all up and so I talked to the people say, look, we're going to be on this real positive campaign. We're hiring like crazy and right. we want people to know what a wonderful place it is. And everybody's like, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. And as soon as that was done, she stepped up to the mic and says, you know what? We're really doing this because people are talking bad about me and I need you to change it. And I was like, oh my God, you just killed the whole thing. <sighs> you know, so that brings up another good point, right? In crisis PR, because I get this a couple of times and I'll throw this fish back in the water every time I get ones who want to not really change something that's fundamentally flawed, not without malice, right? Just just through everybody's blind spots. We all have them. And, and, but they're not willing to be introspective to change that, right? I can help communicate that with, through empathy and action, but that action has to show at least a, a, a change on some behavior. Even if, it's, even if the crisis isn't of your own doing, maybe it's just better communicate. Maybe that's the only change you have to do. But I, I have had situations where people are like, we're just going to do this because we want to make this go away. And that sounds like a perfect example for that. And, and I, I won't say it because it's vulgar, being pr- prior Navy that I said, but the, but the uh, paraphrasing of the phrase is you can't shine a sneaker. You can't make something that just is not, um, it, it is not good better just because you put out a couple of press releases or an Instagram post or, you know, some sort of podcast, right? You, you've got to show action and you have to show empathy for that. And those who just want to make it go away are the ones that I that I not only throw back in the in the lake, but that I leave 
uh, the fishing hole because that is going to be an ugly scene at some point. And my job is to stay away from that. You can't help people who don't want to help themselves. Yeah, and and again, kind of goes kind of goes back to my advice, right? Give the candidate advice whether they take it or not. Give them the reasons that it is whether whether they take it or not. It is really of their really their call of the organization. And and I've had situations where they didn't, and and the organizations went out of business. One in particular that happened a few years ago was a cell phone buyback company that had a, a really nasty Better Business Bureau rating because they were actually promising customers, you know, a certain amount that they were going to get to buy back their cell phone through their online portal. Here's the gift card we're going to send you. The customer would send the old cell phone, and they. Have send them a gift card that was actually half the value that they expected, and there may have been reason for that. And the reason may have been, you know, when they finally looked at it, they were like, "No, these, here's all the things that are wrong with it. We can't honor the quoted price." But they didn't communicate that when they sent back, you know, the gift card, and they wound up getting nasty reviews. The Better Business Bureau came in, gave them a flat F rating, and wound up making uh, some news channels. Uh, and they they called me and they said, "Well, I said, well, what are you going to do about that? What do you? How are you going to change that?" And they said, "We're not changing anything. Just make us go away." And I said, "Can't help you." Two months later, they're out of business. That's the way it goes. Well, I think, and you made this statement somewhere along in this conversation about being upfront and honest. And I, and I think that that's trying to hide something always comes back to bite you. And, and it's, again, more more than ever, um, it's too easy to find stuff out if, you, uh, if you're kind of trying to hide the, the negativity. As I, I mentioned, I think in my opening is, you know, I've had clients just didn't think they needed a crisis plan. And, and to them, it's like there's always something that that could go wrong. And certainly the restaurant industry, I worked in that for for quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And, and, and so that was always mandatory, whether it was food poisoning or, you know, somebody getting hurt on the grills or whatever it happens to be. It, it, are there some kind of typical companies that that come to you or in your mind saying, you know, this is a mandatory kind of you have this business, you should have a plan. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a great question to ask. And I think the ones that are inherently uh, in need of ones are manufacturing clients, construction clients, healthcare clients, hospitality and tourism, you said. Anything where somebody physically walks into a work site or a, a, an environment site. And I'm not just talking about customers. I think you bring up a good point. Employees as well. Anything that has inherent risks to that. Um, uh, retail, furniture retail, those kind of things are important because there's just so many points of opportunities where somebody can interact with somebody and maybe again, not with malice, but with just an ignorance or maybe just tone deafness will say or do something that will cause somebody else to take exception. And the next thing you know, you've got something, as you said, on Glassdoor or Yelp or um, uh, Instagram or something like that. And and having that, having those type of scenarios at least planned for and reacted and ready to react to and not only just what you're going to say but who specifically will say it and how you're going to disseminate it are important things to prep prep for um i have had the privilege of working on crisis pr scenario plannings for community health care companies and waste management companies hazardous material waste management those were and those were brought in by a, a chief marketing officer who uh, in both cases were very much understanding about what are the things that can go wrong that can affect brand reputation and ultimately inhibit uh, retaining customers, acquiring new customers, and then, of course, the revenue profitability. But I will say for every one of those planning scenarios that I create, I get eight or nine that wait until, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, 
uh, that the uh, house is is on fire. And I'm happy to help, and I'll do that all day long. It typically costs more, upwards of four to six times more for just the amount of things that you need to get done. Uh, it also will take uh, much longer. So the impact, the potential impact to revenue and profitability and employee retentions, right? We mentioned that people who feel like they're they're in a sinking ship will, you know, in good times will leave like that. And now you don't even have your, your experienced people staying with you. Uh, so I tell people it's better to prep for it, but, I, but I get it right. There's, there's, you know, business owners got only so many things, so many hours in the day and so many things that they perceive to be, you know, fires that they've got to put out every day, emergent task. And when you say this might happen, it tends to get in the back burner, but if it does happen, it can be catastrophic. Well, I, I love that the scenario planning aspect of it. I mean, currently I, I'm doing a lot of that. You know, what if we're still in COVID? What if your market that you're already selling to disappears? What are you going to do? Right. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's really important in for any business, whether it's marketing or certainly in, in a crisis plan of, of these things could happen. And then what do you do if they do? And I know in, in some of the plans that I, I worked on, we had like, so let's say a crisis happens, who gets the first phone call? Who should talk to the media? Who should do, I mean, I mean, literally map the whole thing out because the last thing you want to do is you get a phone call and you've got some, you know, junior person sitting there telling the media, you know, something that happened. You bring up an excellent point too. And I think even when those who are thinking about a crisis PR plan, their first default audience is news organizations, is media. We got to answer to the media. And I would say media is probably the last one on the list, at least in typical prioritize. Your first audience that you need to communicate is to the employees because your employees, as, as I know, you know, Angela, I'm preaching to the choir here. It's the most inexpensive and most effective marketing asset, right? They're the people that are on the front lines to talk to your customers, your partners, uh, in some cases, you know, shareholders or, st- or certainly stakeholders. And they also are the most effective at generating new customers through word of mouth, talking to family and friends. And if they do not have the messaging and understanding of what is going on and how you are going to take care of it and how you're going to move forward with this one, they are going to be inhibited and not only their job, but they're probably going to turn on you, as you've seen on Glassdoor and others, because they will feel disenfranchised. So employees are number one. And then second is your customers. Having your communication with your customers directly, whether that's because you've got emails uh, of your current customer base that you can send a blast to, social media followers, and those kind of things. Talk to your customers. Your customers don't want to hear it if they if it's, if it's all possible from a third-party entity. They want to at least know that they have been communicated with. And then you've got your then you've got your distribution partners, you've got your technology partners, you've got anybody else who helps you fulfill your product or service, mm-hmm. uh, investors, and then the media. Now this doesn't mean it has to be done in series. You don't start with one and go to the other. Start with, but you do want to make sure that before you talk to the media, that you have at least started to or have preps in place to distribute information to all of those entities. Because I will tell you, if all you do is talk to the media. You're not going to solve this problem. Just ask United Airlines when a couple of years ago, you remember that passenger that they dragged off of the plane that was captured by everybody's cell phone and posted on social media. United largely ignored their employees and their customer base. They sent out a general statement to the media and that was it. What happened was everybody got ticked off and disenfranchised, thought it was disingenuous and started shredding their frequent flyer cards 
on social media and only exacerbated the crisis that I still think when you think of United, you think of that episode. Well, that was years later. You, good luck. Um, it's a prime example about when you're overly focused on media and not the other audiences. Let's continue. Um, tell me, let's. I like stories. We're storytellers. Mm -hmm. So tell me, um, whether it's your client or in the case like United, t give me a, some kind of positive uh, uh, examples of people maybe used your service and what happened and why they used you. And then maybe either some people that didn't use you or just some negative stories. And I know that there's tons of them. I go back, <laughs> back to the island all day. And, and certainly we had the plane crash in San Diego. That was like, what, 20? Oh, yeah, the PSA flight. Yeah, 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 in yeah. the late 70s. Yeah, uh, pretty tragic. I'll give you one, though, that I think is a prime, is, is a prime example of, of, of a good, good outcome, but also uh, indicative of how things can occur in a crisis PR situation for any organization. Um, so a few years ago, there is, I got introduced to a manufacturing company, about 30 people, very light industrial. They make these kids t-shirts and they're, they're, the company's called Just Add a Kid, if you look on the line, Just Add a Kid. And they make these characters of bodices of different activities, whether they're doctors, lawyers, sports figures, ballerinas, artists, those kind of things, and as well as animals. So lions, tigers, bears, elephants, those kind of things. And they, they, they design these t-shirts to fit boys and girls, uh, about eight years old and under, and really six and under is their target market. And you you see these uh, at different retail shops and airport gift shops, and you know those you know sort of impulse buying scenarios where, with a hanger that has a model kid's face, um, you know some some kid model's face, grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle, mom and dad will walk by and see the T-shirt with the kid's face and think, oh that. You know that sports thing would look great on Trevor, or this uh, scientist would look great on on Jill, or you know one of their other kids, and, and so they'll buy them. And about six years ago, I want to say, I get a frantic call from the CEO who tells me the New York Daily News just called me. What do I do? And I said, Well, what happened? Well, it turns out at one of their retail outlets through a distributor, somebody for some stupid or sick reason, uh, maybe they were trying to be a joke, maybe they were ticked off, paired up these hangers that they had with this African-American boy's face on a monkey bodysuit t-shirt and oh, put this entire display. So sure enough, somebody walked by, took a photo on, uh, on their phone, posted up on Twitter, <clears throat> tagged the company and said, explain this. Now, this company is based out of Poway, and the first call they get is the New York Daily News. So that tells you how big this thing got on social media before they even knew about it. And the question is, what do we do? Well, the first thing we did is we put a statement out that we sent to all of their employees, as well as their distribution partners, and ultimately to the customers, said, we saw at the same time you guys did. We didn't condone this. We don't authorize it. We didn't approve of this. We apologize that this happened. We are taking steps to have that removed. And we are also making operational changes to ensure that doesn't happen again. We then, once we got that to the employees, we posted it on their website. It was on the homepage. We posted it on all their social medias and JPEG. And we sent the statement not only to the Daily News, but by the next morning, it was in all the major networks, Associated Press. It was in London with the UK Daily Mail. It went everywhere. Every media outlet that was covering that got sent this official statement from the CEO. So that way we made sure that people knew that while this was 
absolutely a racist statement. It was somebody who manipulated the product set. It was not done by the company. It was not done with authorization by the company. And in fact, they were as upset about it as anybody else. And we answered every inbound email that came in. We changed the 800 number of the company to address the statement. We answered every social media post and they were vicious too. They were calling in many cases for the CEO's head. And I, I mean that physically rather than just literally. They were calling for that head and they were vicious. But we answered every email. We answered every social media post. We addressed it with employees. We addressed it with distribution partners. We talked to the stakeholders and with media. And within 36 hours, that story was dead. There wasn't any follow-up to that because everybody understood where our position was and that we were shocked by it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, two things in this crisis PR um scenario fundamental for any crisis PR was to express empathy and action. We say, we're sorry that it happened and we're taking steps to ensure that it doesn't happen again. What they did is they wound up removing that product line. They were monkey bodice. They weren't going to take any chances again, even though the instructions were there as to how you, which hangers get paired up with which product. We're not even going to worry about that. But where I went several rounds with the CEO was, why am I apologizing for this? I didn't do anything wrong. It's probably some kid at this retail shop who was being funny or being racist or being stupid or a combination therein. Why am I apologizing for it? And I said, I said, listen to how we wrote the statement and how we, and why I asked you to approve it. I said, you apologize that it happened. I'm not saying you apologize for doing it, but you have to express empathy. You have to understand that people who are seeing this at first glance out of context are going to be enraged because they think you and your organization is racist. And you're sorry that people took it that way because you're understanding that that would be the natural reaction of anybody seeing it for the first time. And expressing empathy, even if it's no fault of your own through such a manner is so important because ultimately the anger that you get from an audience is largely because they feel like they are not being heard, that they are not being listened, that they are not being understood. And that frustration will always turn into anger, as is the case here. Expressing empathy diffuses that and then showing that you're taking action to make sure that doesn't happen again was the right course of action. And it was something where it literally could have completely shut down this business where all the distributor partners, anytime you get a you get an accusation of racism, right? What are the distributors going to do? We're washing our hands of this. We can find somebody else to make these type of products, or there's going to be some other t-shirt manufacturer who would gladly start that line of business really quick. So you've got to preserve that and you had to act quickly. And we did so within an hour of knowing that instance had occurred because time is of the essence, particularly with social media. So that's that's one that I'm I'm most I'm very proud of. And it's still one that I that I use as an example of the realities of, of how crisis PR can affect even an organization that no one's heard of overnight and how quickly you have to respond to it. And again, it started with a social media post. It did not start with a with a traditional media. The traditional media followed that. That's that's why it's a really good example of the kind of things that could happen today to any organization of any size. And that is a great example because it wasn't the corporation. It wasn't necessarily the retailers. And to your point, it probably was down the chain to some 17-year-old kid working in the gift shop that thought he might be funny right. or, she, or she. We'll give equal weight to both. <laughs> right. Anybody, right? All, Anybody. all we know is that the person was, the person was uh, hatefully stupid. Yeah. There was uh, a situation, and this is kind of like, I'm going to date myself a little bit, pre-social media. Um during the San Francisco earthquake many years mm-hmm. ago, yeah, yeah, and I was working for uh, one of my clients was a, a in the medical field, and and they had a commode liner, right? 
Uh, and oh, okay. <laughs> a, com a commode liner. So it was a kind of a pre-packaged, you opened it up, you dropped it in the commode. It had this kind of coagulating gel in the bottom. And, and so we were marketing that. But when the earthquake happened, we knew that there was a lot of issues. So we decided to send all the inventory that we had to San Francisco to give people that didn't have toilets and stuff like that, running toilets, a place to go to the bathroom. And so we shipped them up there. We thought this could be great press, you know, very favorable for the client. One of the relief workers unloading the truck got curious, opened it up, stuck his head in it, probably touched the gel and oh, had a severe allergic reaction to it. So now he's on the way to the hospital Good and they, they made the decision to load it all back in the truck and send it back to us. So that, while we didn't have to deal with social media, we certainly had some issues about dealing with that. It was still, it was safe and trying to combat the, the ideas that it, it, it was, you know, human, human mistake. It was no place in the package to just say sniff it or touch it. <laughs> right. Well, and, and you're right though. So, so you're, you're right in this regard, right? Nowhere in the package did it say that, but you didn't think much like in the case with this t-shirt manufacturer that you would have to actually state that, right? That the argument that they've made is, and it kind of goes back to what I talk about is repairing the fundamental flaws. And, and, and we said, we didn't, we, we underestimated the stupidity of people where we should have explicitly said these type of hangers don't put with these type of products, like, like have a common sense. <laughs> or as, as a friend of, of my wife's and I says, it's more, it's not common sense. It's rare sense. And this would be the perfect example of something. There's somebody you would just, you don't have to go in and touch the gym. What, what were you, what were you thinking? Well, guess what? They did, and now the uh, the onus is on you, and you've got a you've got a real crisis on your hand. Oh, great right. story! Thanks. You mentioned this, and I and I want to go back to it because I'm I, I you mentioned reputation management, and mm -hmm. and I we talk a lot about crisis, but really it's a, a it really is a function of man, re, managing your reputation, and sure, and I'm a huge believer in that. Actually, my my brother is a uh, is a, a really well known reputation management researcher. He travels all over the world and looks at companies' reputations in different countries and things like that. So it's been, you know, I've been hearing this about reputation for many, many, many years. Right. But, but it isn't just about merely managing that particular crisis. It's about the damage that can be done not only to the leadership but also to the corporation. So really, you're in that reputation management field as well. Yeah, and where I get involved, unfortunately, often because of being a crisis PR, is when something has already been cemented, as I mentioned earlier, in Google on a search engine that had been largely ignored by an organization until such point as it got to be so popular that it now inhibits customers from closing or contracts. I had a, I had a couple just in the last few months who called me because they were either losing a, cl a client because of something that appeared on the Google search, or they were not eligible or didn't even get into the running for a final look-see for maybe a big government contract or things like that, right? You, you have something like that, even if you can put it in proper context, once it's up there, most organizations will say, I'm not touching you, right? Because this is, now I'm going to put my reputation on the line just to try to justify that, no, this is a one-off type of thing, because you've left it basically sitting there un. Uh, uh, un, you know, unresponded to over over several years. So I'm always a big fan, much like in the preparation, that you hire a reputation manager to work on your overall internet presence. And this is more on the promotional side early on, right? It's just part of the nature of doing business. When you are engaging current and prospective customers, partners, and investors through an online uh, channel, through a social media channel, through an app, through a website, 
manage that as part of your course. Some don't, right? Particularly in the professional services area until it becomes a problem. But the problem is that then they come to me and they go, can you fix it? So yeah, we and my the teams that I'll bring in can absolutely fix this. 18 months and, uh, and six figures at best, you know, start writing checks. And, and that becomes a real expensive undertaking as opposed to slow and steady early on wins the race. So quite frankly, I'd rather not do that. I'd rather put it in the hands of a reputation manager who, um, uh, who is working with them from the beginning. Um, but such is not the case. And, and often it goes back to the whole idea is that uh, I love to be part of the more proactive side of risk management because the threat of crisis PR is real and it's greater than most organizations think. Eight, nine out of 10 times, I'm getting called when the house is on fire. Great. Happy to help. I'll be glad to do so. Just give me, you know, just just be prepared that it's more expensive than originally. That's a great point. And, and I think we talked a little about proactive versus reactive. I want to um, uh, move over. I want to say, first of all, I want to talk about your recent book. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, how to manage COVID-19 crisis in nursing homes. Now, congrats. I think I saw that it's a bestseller already. It was, you know, I I, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, Amazon put it as the best new short-term ebook. I didn't even know that was a category, but I'm glad it's because it's it's about an hour read. Uh, I put it together just real quick on uh, uh, up on Amazon because I have been I, I've been privileged, and I say this I say this most sincerely, privileged to have assisted about uh, currently it's close to 30 nursing homes throughout the state of California, all with COVID infections, some of which are large outbreaks, because of the uh, not only uh, anxiety and concern from local and national media. We've had them on NBC Nightly News, CBS This Morning, CNN and AP and all that, but also the family members and helping those administrations convey to family members what's going on because family have not been able to get into the nursing homes uh, at that there. And there's real people involved with that. And I'm sensitive to that, but I'm, I'm privileged that people have been able to contact me and I've been able to make an impact on allowing them to properly communicate to all of the parties, including staff uh, and and existing residents as to what's going on and being a source for that. I will tell you though, that the 30 that I'm representing equates to somewhere around 2% of all nursing homes in California. So I wrote the ebook with the idea that, look, if, if I've seen a lot of nursing homes that haven't been able to communicate because their staff has been infected just as, you know, to the proportionate degree that residents have. And so it's all they can do to just maintain care and haven't even given any thought to a communications infrastructure, but their lack of conveying regular, uh, uh, complete information to family members and to media is now, in some cases, I believe, brought up the criminal uh, investigations that some are facing because there's a natural default conclusion that their lack of communication means they're doing something wrong. And so I put that up there. It's less than three bucks, download it, take an hour to read. It's like, hey, if you are if you are working in a nursing home or you are managing a nursing home or you're a service provider in a nursing home, take this. It's a playbook. Here's how you set it up there. Go. Uh, because I think uh, it, you, you're going to see with COVID, nursing homes are going to continue to be on the front lines, you know, for some time. Uh, and so it was, it was done with that in mind. Yeah, no, that's great. It, you know, uh, uh, my in-laws are in a and every independent, well, there, there's a, it's an independent assisted and memory care all in one place. And, and, uh, and we've been dealing with, uh, my, uh, father-in-law got sick, had to go to the hospital, but when they brought him back, they stuck him in assisted living and they wouldn't let 
my wife's mother, my mother-in-law actually see him for a long time. So, and they couldn't see the family and, and with the communication was strictly by phone and, and there were, you know, 94 and 99. I mean, you know, so there was a lot of crazy stuff and built a lot of anxiety and suspicions of, of what was going on because of the lack of the communication. It's been, it, it, it's been the bulk of lately of the things that we're working on is family members who are understandably so anxious, anxiety. And, and, and I say, if it's not communicated with effectively, ang- anxiety always converts to anger, right? Again, it's that idea about I'm not being communicated with, I'm not being heard. It turns into anger if not, if not addressed. And having that ability to do so for family members has been important. And I can't say that it has, um, it has been received well by family members 100% of the time. So we've dealt with media that are now speaking out on behalf of a family member who calls a reporter and says what's going on. And um, undoubtedly, there'll be some litigation for some that we're dealing with. But you know, to the extent possible that we can help the nursing homes properly convey uh, to family members and to residents and to staff, right, who goes in every day, the heroes that go in every day to care for COVID patients um, and and taking care of that, I think is important to do so. And yeah, that's that's been, it has been a significant amount of my time for the last four and a half months. Yeah, well, it's uh, certainly a, a great cause and making sure that uh, it's a crazy time. And I know that the nursing homes have been hit pretty bad. So we are, we are coming down to the end this has been i haven't really enjoyed this conversation so um i kind of one more question is there a if you could offer three tips a checklist whatever however you want to frame it to to the listeners if you're going to start a, a crisis plan here are the two things three things four things that you should do yeah three things are absolutely paramount we sort of talked through them before but to summarize first off Make sure your messaging includes empathy and action. Again, even if the even if the crisis is not of your doing, you need to express empathy and also action as to how you're moving forward in order to convey correctly to audiences that you care and that you're listening and that you value them. The second is make sure that you think about all the audiences. In particular, don't forget your employees is the first and always the priority of any crisis event to make sure that they understand what's going on and they are armed to be able to convey that same messaging to everybody that they talk to, customers, partners, investors, and the like. And the third that we haven't really touched on a lot in this in this podcast, but I think is equally important is practice it. Make sure that you have this in place, that practice it. It's like muscle memory, right? Put people in place, throw scenarios in the middle of the day without warning as to what's going on that are likely or possible scenarios of a crisis event and see how the designated people that you have in the plan are reacting to it. Because the time in which to figure out the plan is working, let alone understood, is not when there's an actual crisis plan, right? Sure. Otherwise, all you've done is you've written something that's been st- stuck in some you know, cloud, you know, IT cloud for a while and doesn't do any good. So practice it. And I would say those are the three things that if you do nothing else uh, that you will, want to, uh, you will want to develop in a crisis PR plan. And it's in that ebook specifically for nursing homes, but the fundamental premise of how to develop a plan is in there for practically any situation. Well, the last thing I would imagine uh, in the middle of a crisis, you've got to go find it, blow the dust off it and try to make it work. <laughs> I'd say uh, don't 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 bury something underneath a rock. I was sort of talking through that about the uh, about the online post that now is cemented in Google, uh, which is sort of you know hidden in plain sight. Right. And, and that'll bite you every time. Yeah. Just 
putting it away and hoping it goes away is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. We've heard that so many times, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. So why don't we, uh, why don't you tell the audience uh, how they can find you, contact you, your websites, all that good stuff. I appreciate it, Andrew. This has been a treat. So thanks for the time as well. Uh, you can find me on my website, publicrelationssecurity.com. Uh, uh, an equally as good place is LinkedIn, David Oates, uh, Public Relations, Crisis Public Relations specifically. I'll come up right away, but uh, I, I just love engaging with people and, and conversing about the things that they think they need to be aware of. So really, if anybody just wants a quick chat on, on LinkedIn or, or email, my contact information is on my website, LinkedIn, by all means. Uh, uh, I'd be glad to have a conversation. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for that offer. And thank you for joining us at the cafe today. Um, keep in mind, if your business needs a CMO or a senior marketing leader, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, connect with me to find out more about my fractional interim consulting services or visit theponzigroup.com to find a variety of resources, blogs, videos, eBooks, blah, 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 or certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. Please subscribe to this show. And if you're already a subscriber, I encourage you to tell others about it so they can benefit from the great content like you heard with David here today, or you can go to the businessgrowthcafe.com or subscribe on any podcast platform. And don't forget, join me next week at the Business Growth Cafe. And David, thank you. Thank you, Angelo. Be well. Yeah, you too. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.